I have a message for New York. Central Park is mine. Hello, my name is Will and welcome to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world that studies helicopter explosions while wearing massive aviator sunglasses. Now, after Sylvester Stallone's first blood became a box office success, American cinemas were suddenly full with films about troubled Vietnam veterans with axes to grind. But while Rambo's psychodrama played out in the wilds of Northwest America, the film we're reviewing on this show brought the action into an urban environment and the heart of New York City. So on this show, we're looking at The Park Is Mine. And talking of troubled individuals who've seen too much, too much straight-to-video fodder at any rate, my guest today is Rich Nelson from the Betamax Video Club. Welcome to the show, Rich. Hi, Will. Thank you for having me. No, it's uh, a pleasure. Now, uh, uh, you're, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you are the uh, the host of the Betamax uh, Film Club. And as the name suggests, there is uh, an 80s focus on the films that uh, you review on your podcast. So I kind of wondered, uh, you know, why you decided to pick that decade? I think looking back, it, it was the, the decade I was born, albeit sort of nine weeks into the decade. And remembering all the films that I grew up watching far too young. Uh, it was the decade when we had a guy driving around in a video, in a van who would allow us to rent videos from the back, which I think these days would be somewhat frowned upon. Um, and um, just remembering the sort of times and, and the stories that I tell about how when I was having eight and my dad took me and my slightly younger brother to the video shop and just said, look, get what you want. We came back with Predator. And uh, as my mum walked into the part where they found Hopper's body <laughs> hanging from the tree and there's me and my an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old sitting there going, wow. That that stuck with me and I, I still have several videos around the house now, even though I don't have anything to play them on. And uh, they always seem to be the films that, that stick out for me. They're the action films are i suppose the the meat and veg the the ones that i really enjoy digging back into and you know anything from commando to predator and any well, i suppose anything with schwarzenegger at the time really but uh yeah it was a, a rich decade for style perhaps over substance in some cases so it sounds as if it's largely uh, the fact that uh, that particular decade holds a nostalgic feel for you. Um, but uh, do you or would you also argue that it's a great decade for film or, or the best decade for film? No, I, I don't think I could argue that. And even the films that were doing well in the Academy Awards in the decade were ones that, I'll be honest, aren't ones that I really would consider favourites. You know, you look at films like Amadeus or Out of Africa, The Last Emperor. They're not films that I look back at with any fondness in a lot of cases because I, I didn't see them at the time. And, and if I'm looking at an era of films that were more my sort of thing for quality, I'd have to say the 70s. We had films like The Conversation or The Godfather or uh, The French Connection or even you know, my favourite film was probably Superman, uh, all in 70s. And perhaps I could have picked that one. But the 80s is the one for the nostalgia, really, because of everything else that goes up of actually being a child in the decade with the, the music and the, the fashion and the fact that even these days, the 80s seems to be remembered quite fondly. And the sequel to Wonder Woman is set in 1984. So that uh, promises gold anyway. Now, as you know, this is the world's only podcast dedicated to celebrating films where helicopters explode. And while I've chosen to dedicate my life to that pursuit, I appreciate that not everyone is necessarily interested in the same goal. So you know, as you're a guest here today, I wondered, you know, are you fascinated by this strange phenomenon or, you know, are you just a disinterested observer? 
I'm very much a fan. I think it's one of what the... What we like to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to say it's like a calling card. It's In, in a lot of cases, it is, um, it's almost like, you'd hate to say a cliche, but if you see an exploding helicopter or any sort of vehicle, really, with a the potential to store explosive liquid within uh, you know the explosion is going to be good in most cases and, and even now i know in some of your previous episodes where uh, in bond films for example it's they're still doing it up till now i think the, the skyfall episode because there's nothing you know to, to a lot of people even a helicopter on its own is exotic and it's not exactly a common way of travel uh, so seeing a helicopter and then what do we do to make it more exciting? Let's make it explode. There's a science behind it. There certainly is, and it is a science that we are aiming to explore in all its glorious detail. Right, I think it's time that we got stuck into The Park Is Mine. Now, I would tell you the name of the main character, but I can't remember his name. Somebody, please, tell me his name. His name is Mitch Garnett. I want you out of the park. What are you hassling me for? Don't treat me like I'm some kind of junkie. I'm a vet. I want you out of the park now. He's fighting back for everyone who was ever pushed too far. Well, let's not have any stupid mistakes, okay? I don't want anybody to get hurt, and nobody will get hurt if we do everything my way. He's unpredictable. certain the band of well-coordinated, well-trained gorillas is responsible. Unconventional. I am the individual who controls the park. It's one guy. One guy. And completely unstoppable. What are you doing in here? You got something to say. You want to tell people something? You want the world to know about this? Let me get it on tape. I'll make sure it's seen. I am staying in this park until 9 o'clock Wednesday night. We will remove him before the deadline. They wanted him out of the way. I'm getting you out of here at first light. Give me a break. We're both dead and you know it. Now he's out of control. Tommy Lee Jones is a one-man revolution, and he's going to war against the city of New York. The Park is Mine is the story of Mitch, a troubled Vietnam veteran who's pretty unhappy with his lot in life. He's just lost his job, his marriage is broken up, and his wife won't let him see his kid. It's then that Mitch receives a message from beyond the grave. A mysterious letter arrives in the post. It's from an old war buddy who's just committed suicide because he has terminal cancer. In the letter, his dead friend explains that he's been stashing weapons and explosives in Central Park. He reveals that he's been planning to take over the park as a protest against the way that people like himself have been forgotten or ignored by society. His dying wish is for Mitch to complete his plan and make the country take notice of men like them. Now, most people would probably think that this was a terrible idea, but not our Mitch, who promptly takes control of the park in order to make his protest. Naturally, the police and city officials aren't too thrilled and make a variety of efforts to seize Central Park back. 
Now, this film came out in 1985, and it's actually a Canadian-produced TV movie. It stars Tommy Lee Jones as Mitch and the great Yafet Koto as a policeman drafted in to handle the crisis. It was directed by Stephen Hillard Stern, who had a long career directing TV movies, seemingly without uh, too much distinction, although he did direct Rolling Vengeance, the Ned Beatty trucker revenge flick. The film has a 6.2 rating on IMDb and a similar audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But let's find out what my guest made of The Park Is Mine. Rich, what did you make of this? I enjoyed the film. I, I believe it's easy to say that a film is good or bad, and I'm no film reviewer, I'm no film buff. I sat down and watched it for 100, 101 minutes, and I did enjoy it. I think the the story didn't take a lot to build up. It's it's hardly the most complicated, as you explained. Um, within sort of 15 minutes, Mitch is in the park and doing his reconnaissance, and even then he's getting picked and by the local police mm. and you know he's he's already had some hard times he's struggling to hold the job and he feels that veterans aren't getting perhaps the not even the respect just the common courtesy of being citizens that the fact that they've come back from a, a war that was massively complex uh trying to re-establish themselves in daily life and his friend died his friend had a very outlandish scheme shall we say um, <laughs> that's one way of describing it yeah it's um i know there's ways and means of drawing people's attention to things in in this current decade people start an online petition or they bring social media out or maybe get a Mm. jovial placard and stand outside a government building but to take one of the world's great landmarks hostage was novel because taking an inanimate object or a place hostage is something that you don't really see very often it's normally people or a group of people or or what they represent do you think kids today just lack imagination I think so. It wouldn't surprise me to see people go and hold a McDonald's hostage if they run out of Happy Meal toys. But uh, I think it was it goes to show as well that there was that element of loyalty where obviously Mitch isn't you know, isn't doing particularly well in life. And the fact that his friend has asked him to, to carry on this chore without he can't even argue because the guy's dead. But he's obviously gone to a lot of hassle to store this fire firepower and he takes to it quite well. He um doesn't need much convincing because what else is he going to do well he certainly doesn't yeah it takes to it uh, rather quickly I, I do agree with the, the point you made about the that this is a very economically told story certainly at the beginning of it because uh, I, I you know you were saying oh he's in the park in 15 minutes i think it may even be quicker than that i mean it is mm. given the um, that they're actually setting up quite a bit of stuff here with tommy lee jones's buddy with his family um and then also with tommy lee jones's own state of mind it establishes that all very very quickly and uh, yeah it's very economical storytelling that said this is a, a, a you know this is a strange film i found this a very odd watch indeed certainly it held my held my attention but uh, i think mostly because of the odd politics of this uh, particular movie which i, I think we're going to get into in a in a bit more detail later though i do think it is sort of hampered by a number of very strange choices that take place in this movie because i don't think that uh, tommy lee jones's agenda is terribly well explained and the ending is a bit uh you know it's a bit of a damp squib but uh, what i really wanted to kind of dig into was tommy lee jones agenda in this movie because i 
wasn't exactly clear what he is protesting for because there are several instances in the film where he talks about not being afforded enough uh, respect Uh, you know we see a scene in this film where he's um, hassled by a policeman and he recounts a story of how somebody at work was mocking his background as somebody from uh, you know a southern state in or somebody from the midwest and a scene in this movie where you know tommy lee jones is essentially articulating his agenda here he's broadcasting he's blackmailed the police into broadcasting um you know his agenda on the news and he reads off this collection of news clippings and um you know he's basically highlighting how people in new york are essentially selfish and i didn't really quite get how the whole lack of respect thing tied into the the selfishness aspect i don't know uh, you know perhaps it made more sense to you rich i i think it was strange and confused because the fact that they introduced mitch as a a fairly moderate character in the beginning it uh, he didn't come across as any sort of extremist with any real political motives other than perhaps things weren't going his way but in the 80s in most parts of the world unless you were michael douglas in wall street things were generally quite <laughs> tough um, and the fact is that you know, coming back from Vietnam would be difficult. It would be an extra burden on your sort of physical, emotional state, the issues he has with his relationship. But by the time it got to reading out his almost his manifesto on the radio, he sounded more like Frank Castle from The Punisher, where he's reading out his my statement, my last will and testament. This is what's going to happen. This is why I'm doing it. And it, it doesn't seem that while they're trying to describe him and make him out to be a sympathetic character to get him to turn into that almost angry at the world person it it was takes a bit of a jump which to be honest the rest of the film doesn't really afford you Mm. um and to have his motivations which while you can sympathize with them you don't see that other than really the issue he has with the policeman and the fact that his wife is struggling because he can't provide um, but this is the motivation for half the films of the 80s, I think. But it would have been nice to see some sort of exposition or even just a, a flashback or something to show him in Vietnam or him suffering, really, that would cause this to happen rather than the death of his friend and things aren't going his way. Because, to be frank, it, it wasn't made particularly obvious. Well, no, and I think that is one of the curious aspects of this film is that the the shadow of of Vietnam sort of clearly hangs over this film, but we never really learn anything about Tommy Lee Jones' experience in in Vietnam. It doesn't appear that he was physically wounded by his experience. We certainly, there's no evidence of that. And there's no real evidence that even that he was psychologically wounded. It's very odd that they didn't actually put any meat on the bones. Yeah, you can tell that Mitch has a very particular set of skills to borrow from another film, that he's gone through things, he's done things in Vietnam that would bring a lot of pain to a lot of people and and make someone really regret or certainly examine where they've been. But we only see the the technical side of that, the fact that he seems quite proficient Mm. with bombs and explosives. And, you know, he's obviously, and and his friend has obviously gone to the hassle of arranging blank firing ammunition so that it's for effect rather than for actually damaging or, or injuring anyone. But it just seems that 
he flips from moderate guy to very good with guns and explosives guy but there's none of the motivation behind it and there's so many films even in that era between first blood and full metal jacket and platoon even when you know while they're still there that you see how much damage it causes to people and yet all we see is tommy lee jones is quite handy with a rocket launcher and an (laughs) ak-47 yes and i think that absence of some sort of vietnam backstory then means that the film or that the the mechanics of the film are left leaning a little bit too much on some of the things that are going on in in tommy lee jones's personal life which is you know we see that he's estranged from his wife and you know she's putting pressure on him to you know support the the kid that they have together you know he's lost his his job and whilst you obviously sympathize with uh, that state of affairs these are problems that many people face in their life without launching a paramilitary operation to seize a public landmark yeah it has been tempting from time to time if i (laughs) my train if my train's been delayed there's nothing i want more than to next time i take my daughters to the playground might lock them in and uh, Mm. start some sort of uh, war with sutton council but um (laughs) it's difficult because i suppose these films were made on a budget the director maybe he'd have loved to have done a a vietnam section or Mm. flashback to some of the issues he went through before but it just seems that that is a major issue with the film and that while it's entertaining it doesn't necessarily explain his motivations and one of the things that's important to sort of note here is that in order to to maintain the audience's sympathy for Tommy Lee Jones, um, a lot of the weapons um, that he is using as part of this takeover of Central Park are are there more for effect. So whilst he does have access to live ammunition, which he does use at various points in the movie, a lot of the time when he is uh, is shooting at uh, police officers actually firing blank ammunition and some of the explosive charges that that he lets off to uh, ward off any attempts by the police to to try and infiltrate the park are ones which are sort of more um, sort of smoke and loud noises rather than ones with actual sort of explosive power and it felt that that rather limited the the jeopardy and and the stakes of this film and that combined with the fact that Tommy Lee Jones is occupying the park for 72 hours until Veterans Day it sort of leaves the film without much sort of jeopardy or stakes because if Tommy Lee Jones is left to his own devices this situation will just diffuse itself after 72 hours there's no need necessarily for the police to to do anything no there's only so much he can do i think uh, central park is so large that to one control it effectively by one man is impossible unfortunately or fortunately for him the the police and the the local authority seem quite incompetent generally mm. and uh, do as much to antagonize and cause the issues as, as he does <laughs> I, th- I think um a lot of what he does is for distraction and effect it's a dangerous game if you're going to go up against even a seemingly incompetent nypd they're going to be armed to the teeth and probably not be governed by any sort of uh, bill of rights or anything Mm. like that they seem quite intent on shooting to kill and and it's not the sort of thing that you really want to go into with something that fires blanks and some rather elaborate fireworks and it was it's quite obvious from the beginning he had blanks and it was something they used in die hard 2 where it's quite obvious where they would switch from one magazine Mm. to another with, with the colored tape but it just seemed like he was putting himself at a huge amount of 
risk and danger for the sake of this when I don't know maybe it was a almost a demonstration of the fact that it was ultimately futile and people people <laughs> still died it's not like he came away with squatters rights from mm. the park he uh, you know he was led away after a very impressive explosion which did nothing except probably cause a, a few scorch marks on the turf well, you talk about the ending of this film and, um, well, it felt to me a little bit like a damp squib because he stays in the park until the end of uh, the kind of the time that he sets for himself. He lets off this huge explosion which doesn't ultimately um, hurt anyone or destroy anything. And, you know, it's not clear that the world has changed. It's not clear that New Yorkers will be doing anything differently, that they'll be treating their neighbours more kindly, which seems to be largely what sort of Tommy Lee Jones's uh, protest is about. And you kind of think, what's the future here for Tommy Lee Jones? Because whilst he's been using blank ammunition and has been striving not to hurt anyone, you can't think that he is going to get anything other than a very, very stiff custodial sentence. Yes, because even the deaths that he... I won't say commits, but the deaths that he causes, which he could argue were in self-defense, mm. because I can't imagine on which planet that an elected official would decide <laughs> to send in mercenaries. Um, <laughs> I, and I think that anything he's done, and I don't blame him for getting a bit antsy. If you're um, you're struggling with this and the New York or the, the city of New York decide to hire some people who look like they were in a photograph committing war crimes <laughs> <laughs> and sending them in to basically rustle out a squatter, mm. it's um, it's an emboldened move. And and I guess from the beginning, Yafet Koto is you know, and I've seen him in so many films and in one of my favourite TV shows, he played the police captain uh, in Homicide Life on the Street and he was so good in that and in being this sort of mm. commanding but compassionate person. And you could tell from the beginning this film was clearly painting him as the, the person with sense and that was trying to argue for some sort of decency. But, you know, it's the equivalent of sending in the A-team <laughs> to get him out and i just found it absolutely bonkers that they do it they'd send in guys with rocket launchers and claim live claymores who look like extras from the wild geese i mm. think it's just anything any sense after that and i think tommy lee jones is walking out with probably a suspended sentence purely on the grounds that they antagonized <laughs> him so much they've uh, they've lost any chance of getting him on a on a fair trial well, I think we should explore that aspect a little bit more because um, in contrast to the honourable protests of uh, Tommy Lee Jones, we have, I guess, the villain of this film, who is the, the deputy mayor. And he's shown to be more interested in how this event is reflecting on his reputation than he is in preserving the public's safety. And I guess this character is meant to be the manifestation of what Tommy Lee Jones is protesting against. But um, I didn't really understand his character and it felt like the film was a bit desperate for a villain. So they made him into one, whether that made a lot of sense or not. He seemed almost like if uh, in the mayor from the Ghostbusters had been of a slightly different persuasion. He, <laughs> you know, the mayor in Ghostbusters, while he did inevitably listen to the, the prospect of registered voters, this guy seemed to be running partly off his own agenda. And, and the image of New York, which in the 80s was, was fairly poor, 
he reminded me of the fact that perhaps the makers of this film would have loved to have Christopher Walken play that role, but he wasn't oh, available. That would have been good. Oh, I know. And this was around the time of, I guess, 85, so a view to a kill. Mm. Um, and, and I know this guy was actually in the dead zone with Christopher Walken, and maybe he picked up some tips and thought, you know what, this needs to go up to 11. Yeah. But he just seems so both incompetent and, I wouldn't say evil, evil would be almost giving him too much credit, but he just seems a complete lack of humanity, mm. which in an elected official or anything like that, you just think, come on. Well, he's more of a dangerous character than, than Tommy Lee Jones is. And uh, this deputy mayor, he is the, the man who, off his own back, decides to hire a couple of uh, Vietnam mercenaries, including one who is actually a member of the Viet Cong, which is a interesting aspect given Tommy Lee Jones's backstory, to basically secretly infiltrate the park and assassinate Tommy Lee Jones's character. And um, it did seem completely ludicrous that uh, as uh, as mentioned that uh, that an elected f- official would decide to off their own back hire some mercenaries to carry out an assassination and and that's what it is you know it would be an assassination <laughs> on you know down to political motives and, and the fact that you know this guy is you know he's there and one of the funniest parts of the the film which probably were only slightly intentional was where the members of various armed forces security forces the police got together to discuss what they were going to do and it all came down to either costs or the slightly deranged egos of old mm. men going right well, <laughs> what what can we do how how do we get rid of this um and all the while tommy lee jones is obviously oblivious to this but their attempts at negotiating were fairly short-lived. Their attempts at <laughs> trying to take the park by force themselves, you know, were difficult. I mean, it's a public park. It's not like a, a jungle. Now, this film is clearly very much inspired by First Blood and the success of the Rambo character. Um, in terms of, you know, depictions of the troubles of Vietnam veterans, how do you think, you know, this compares to that film? First Blood, which came out before this, was so much more into the the mindset of the person mm. and the suffering that he received. This was, you know, a guy who, you know, so in, in John Rambo's case, had come back from Vietnam and he, yeah, he, he had some issues, but he was maltreated to the point of torture, really. And, and the fact that the local police chief was hunting him down, this Tommy Lee Jones has seemed you know if they hadn't mentioned that he'd been in vietnam you just think he was a guy who had had a bad run of luck he'd yeah. uh you know lost a job or was particularly sensitive to being called certain things which yeah it's not not nice and you wouldn't want that if you if you do have a job but that that, that push that, that rambo was this elite killer who you know in, in the case of first blood you know he he didn't really do much other than sort of survive because he was he felt that he was under siege but tommy lee jones was trying to take this park as a political statement on behalf of someone else i mean to be honest the guy's dead he could have just said he did it and and carried on (laughs) he would never have known um but i i just don't think that the film didn't give him any sort of motivation in the way that rambo had and i think that it suffered massively and this is where you know the, the scene in first blood even in the shower that part yeah. you know things like that where you're dehumanizing someone who already feels like they're less because of what they've gone through and, and in this case it's tommy lee jones is struggling to raise money for his kid well 
yeah, that's a horrible place to be, and and you do feel sorry for him. But you know, I suppose in 2018 he'd probably get a Batman suit and climb up Big Ben. But it's um, <laughs> it's it's difficult to sympathise any more than that. Okay, I think it's time to get to the main purpose of this podcast and discuss the exploding helicopter action. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Rich and I are going to give our thoughts on the Chopper Fireball action. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great fits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action in The Park Is Mine. This happens about halfway through the film when police snipers in a helicopter are ordered to fly over the park and take out Tommy Lee Jones. Our Rambo impersonating hero fires at the chopper, but very pointedly at the tail rotor, damaging the whirlybird. Trailing smoke, the damaged uh, helo spins around in the air before making an emergency landing. The crew on board jump out to safety before the aircraft spectacularly combusts. Rich, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? I think the first part of the assault on the helicopter was actually quite realistic. I think if you're on the ground with a firearm trying to disable a helicopter, then, yeah, that's what you do. You go for the tail rope and bring it down. I think it was once that the helicopter landed and the crew escaped, that was when it became a, a cliche from The Simpsons. And I, I don't see where <laughs> that explosion came from. I think it's one where clearly there's a defective part and it's landed and I, I, I couldn't see the explosion coming. And, and obviously, of course, because I'm going to be on this podcast talking about this film and you see a helicopter, you think, right, here we go. But yeah, it just seemed like the explosion came from nowhere. I, f I found it <laughs> very surprising, to be honest. Yeah, it was yeah, very odd because, as you say, the, the helicopter has, has landed. It's, you know, trailing a bit of smoke. So you think it, it would just sort of sit there and smoke away relatively peacefully. But uh, as you say, it then suddenly explodes and it really does explode. It's a very impressive bit of pyrotechnics that they get lined up there. And it's not clear exactly why. I don't know why they didn't have sort of perhaps Tommy Lee Jones give it another spray with his machine gun and that could have justified why it then blew up and would have remained true to his sort of principles of uh, not harming anyone because obviously the crew were no longer on board at that particular point so that that might have just helped the believability or the plausibility of uh, that particular moment yeah because if you you're making a statement of intent if you open fire on a helicopter there's not much you can do to disable a helicopter without running the severe risk of hurting or killing the people on board. And I think it worked out a bit too nicely for his sort of character development. Mm. The fact that he brought the helicopter down, it gave the crew just enough chance to escape and then blow up. And I think it would have showed him as a more sympathetic character. And this is where he could have sort of shouted down the radio at the police going oh, look at your helicopter now and then yeah. blow it up chuck a grenade in at the last second but uh, yeah i think he's um he set his stall out by shooting at it so the lives that were saved were not 
I wouldn't give him the credit for that. And uh, yeah, I just don't see why it didn't explode either earlier or not at all. But to explode when it did after a fairly safe landing. Yeah, poor form. Right. I think it's time to wrap things up. Rich, thank you so much for joining me today. Would you like to take a moment to tell people where they can find the Betamax Video Club and uh, you know how to get in contact with you online? Um, well, the Betamax Video Club, it's um, my podcast. It comes out normally every fortnight, but when I have time, I'll, I'll do an extra week. It's available on all good and most bad uh, podcast catchers, iTunes, uh, hosted on Podbean. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook at Betamax Pod. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not very good with Facebook because it normally gets in the way of pictures of my dog. But um, yeah, if you follow the Twitter account, there's plenty on there. It's uh, more of an 80s theme Twitter account than than anything else. But uh, yes, it's good fun. There's uh, lots of the usual tropes, and I try and resurrect some of the the more forgotten 80s films. <laughs> such a, I, I seem to be in a particular phase at the moment of championing the cause of Weekend at Bernie's and Police Academy Six. But uh, yeah, lots more podcasts to come, uh, including a particular one that we've touched upon a few times on this one. So, uh, yeah, come back soon for First Blood. Yep. And uh, yeah, what Rich is hinting at there is uh, I will be uh, the guest on that particular show uh, reviewing First Blood. So I'm really looking forward to uh, getting stuck uh, into that movie. But uh, yeah, don't wait for my appearance. Go and check out uh, Rich's podcast now. Do yourself that favor as always don't forget to check out the exploding helicopter website where we've got reviews and painstakingly compiled information about films where helicopters explode if you like the show spread the word about what we do we'll be back soon but until then keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.